Welcome to listen to WDBE Talks, the podcast for the world of digital built environment. We invite you on a physical and virtual journey from Tallinn to Helsinki in September 2023. This year, we will take a deep dive into climate tech with our keynote speakers. Hello and welcome to another episode of WDBE Talks. My name is Arni Heiskanen and I'm joined by BJ Siegel an internationally award-winning architect. BJ, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm uh, happy to be here. Yeah, we are going to d- discuss industrialized and sustainable housing, among others. And and to start with, um, in 2019, you co-founded Juno, a PropTech firm focusing on designing, developing and delivering urban multifamily housing as a branded consumer product. Uh, before that, you developed Apple's retail stores. You're an architect. You hold a master's degree in architecture. How did you become a designer of commercial concepts? Sure. Well, um, I started off my career as a typical architect, like uh, like many. Um, and, but uh, in in around 1999, when I moved to San Francisco, uh, I started working at a small interdisciplinary design firm. Uh, we It was called 8 Inc. And we worked on many things, um, architecture, interior design. Uh, we talk, uh, worked on exhibit design and product design. Uh, I love the idea of being able to work in so many different uh, aspects of design at the same time and understanding the whole picture. Um, we had a, a chance at that point to do uh, exhibit design for Apple for their product launches at their Macworld Expos. Um, and that experience actually transformed into some explorations into how Apple might take some of its products directly to consumers uh, through a retail idea. Um, and in doing those explorations, I ended up becoming the concept architect uh, at 8 Inc., uh, working on the first eight years of the Apple Retail Store program. Uh, and in that experience, I really uh, developed a, a lot of the, the kind of ideas about concept design and repeatable programmatic uh, explorations. And uh, I then joined Apple directly as uh, uh, head of innovations and standards in 2009, and then eventually was uh, head of design for all the retail stores around the world. And uh, that was a, an amazing experience, and it kind of just unfolded over time. So Apple combines uh, hardware design and customer experience with, of course, with technology. What did your years with Apple teach you that you can now use in your current uh, job? Um, sure. Well, I think there are a couple of things that I think I, I gleaned from the Apple experience that fed directly into you know how to, to think about what we're doing at Juno. Um, the first was was how to design a product that people get really emotionally connected to, right? You have to start by doing designing a really great product or else you can't repeat things over and over again. So that Apple does, does really, really well. And I, and I learned some great uh, skills and, and habits there about the designing things that people really get kind of into. Um, the second thing that was actually really interesting, I think, is uh, thinking about architecture in a programmatic way, a repeatable way, a series of projects that actually build off of each other and that you can continuously learn and improve from one project to another. And so you actually 
have a feedback loop of, of continually getting better and better instead of reinventing the wheel every time. And I think that was the second thing. The third thing probably was this focus. Apple asked us when we were working on the retail stores to deliver the stores in a similar way that they delivered the products using a direct source supply chain. So having relationships with third-party vendors and actually creating a, a, an efficiency out of getting higher quality, better expectation of deliverables, uh, better control over, over what you're going to get. Um, and that is very unusual in the, the, the building industry is have those relationships. And then, uh, you know, lastly, was, you know, a focus on environmental sustainability and the way that the product has an impact on the environment. I think Apple was not always, didn't always shout about that in the early days, but it was always very high, high focus for us. And then, um, you know, when they did start talking about it, it was very easy because we were always doing that for, for, for a long time. And so that, that focus on the environment and the impact of the projects was something that actually also made a big difference. And, and all of those things were things that, that we applied directly to Juno as we were able to start fresh and, and think about ideas in a, in, a, in a kind of clean way. Juno is productizing, in a way, apartments. Uh, who, who did you originally think about this concept? Who, who is it for? Who are the customers? And uh, can you tell us a little bit about how, how you differ from a traditional way of construction, uh, construction or building? Sure. So we actually have a very, you know, it's, it's important to understand that you have users and you have customers. And for us, especially in, in kind of apartments, multifamily housing and urban situations, you know, our customer uh, is different than the user. The user really is kind of, we're focusing on a market rate, kind of young professional, um, urban uh, dweller. Um, and, uh, but our customer really is developers and, and investors. And uh, the, really the difference between users and, and customers is who's actually paying the bill. But, um, you know, we, we want to make sure that when we design the product, it's really addressing both audiences at the same time. And sometimes they're kind of at odds with each other. You want to really design a place that the people that live there will really be able to kind of get connected to, feel like they don't need to move around, uh, that they, it meets their needs and it exceeds their expectations. But at the same time, you can't just make things bigger and better and, and more expensive. At the same time, a developer is very conscious of the business model of, of these projects. And so we have to kind find uh, strategies that, that both make it uh, profitable for developer, more efficient and fast, uh, but also create a kind of a high quality environment that's, that's okay and worthy to be repeated from project to project so that we can get the kinds of you know, efficiencies that we're hoping to get out of this kind of productization. Uh, of the of the built environment and and that is a slightly unique way of working and i think it's uh created a number of interesting you know challenges and opportunities uh for us as we think about make designing and delivering these projects i, I can imagine that there are several challenges that you have you are facing while while developing this concept and putting it into practice what 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 kind of, kind of challenges do you think are 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 the main main ones some of the challenges really stem mostly from uh, having new ideas be adopted by people who are very used to doing their work in a different way. Um, there are some people that benefit greatly, partners of ours. I mean, we, we really organize our work around an ecosystem of partners. We don't do everything ourselves. In fact, that's our, the basis of our business model is to actually be a decentralized kind of orchestrator of a number of partners in an ecosystem. 
Um, and that makes us asset light. There are some partners within that uh, chain of events that, that actually benefit in a, in, a, in a greater way from the way that we're working. They actually get more work or they get a, a larger scope of work uh, from the way that we're approaching. And there are some, there are some, there are some, there are some folks within that, that value chain that actually have less to do than they would typically on a, on a conventional project. Um, so if we're doing more building in an offsite manner or uh, building components in, in you know, factories, bringing them to the job site and then just assembling them on the job site, uh, the person that assembles and drives the crane, for example, gets a much larger scope of work than they ever had uh, previously in a conventional process. But there are people that um, do conventional work that, that have a little bit less scope. And as a result, you know, they're, you know, we have to find the way that makes the, the involvement in the project work for them too. And so really this adoption curve is something that is a challenge. And, and also there's, there's some degree of risk for doing anything new. And of course, anybody that's investing in the project wants to make sure that the risk is very low. So until you prove it out, until you've done a couple of the projects, there's always a little bit of hesitancy. And so that's always a challenge to overcome as to how to explain to people, well, it's not going to be scary. It's not going to go upside down, but it's going to work well. And, and, uh, and we have to demonstrate that. My understanding is that in the USA, uh, people typically uh, think of uh, their, their dream home is a house, <laughs> a single family house. <laughs> uh, how, how do you cope with that? Well, I think that uh, in different stages of life, everybody has a different you know, moment in time that fits their needs. Um, and not everybody starts by having a big house. Some people start their careers and they want to be um, able to be more agile and flexible about where they live. And they don't want to invest in, and be dragged down into a, a, a large asset like a, like a residence. Um, and so there is, and, and also there's many people in the United States that are very excited about living in an urban condition, living amongst other people like-minded around cultural activities, et cetera, being close and walkable to to you know, restaurants or, or, or nightlife, et cetera. And so these urban conditions don't lend themselves necessarily to just big single family houses with yards, et cetera. They, they, they actually be, they're, they're a little bit more dense in the, in the, in the, in the environment. And um, so uh, there's a range of people. And, and, uh, and so uh, apartment living and the density of urban living is something that is actually very vibrant that actually continues to grow. And, and actually the need for more and more of that kind of product in the United States there's actually a, a very large shortfall of apartments in, in urban uh, centers. Uh, and that being able to add to the supply of that is actually quite critical to balancing the kinds of uh, choices that people have about where they can live. And so we're trying to, you know, not solve every problem, but we're trying to solve that problem of urban density and, and uh, you know, high quality living in the cities. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure uh, as we have this discussion here in Europe about uh, uh, apartments and, and, and urban living being more sustainable actually as than, than having those huge areas of single family houses. Exactly. And the same is true in the United States. And I think there's a lot of people focused on that now, especially about how to actually share resources and actually get you know, uh, a lighter impact on the, on the environment by actually having that kind of shared, shared access to resources. Yeah. Do you have any questions about, uh, you mentioned industrialized production or uh, prefabrication, offsite production. Do you have any doubts from the clients about that? 
Um, our approach is actually slightly different than maybe uh, other folks who have tried this in the past. Um, our model is based on a uh, an asset light uh, approach to uh, componentizing the, the the parts of the project. And so what we've done is actually uh, put together an ecosystem of of third party contract manufacturers. And that is a slight contrast to the way many people have come about this. Many people who have focused on offsite construction build volumetric boxes and they ship them on trucks and and they pile them up and and there's challenges with that about uh, you know construction tolerances and shipping air, which is very inefficient, you know, inside these volumes. Because we focus on a, a decentralized uh, series of of contract manufacturers and we make flat panelized parts. Um, we can actually get rid of some of that inefficiency in the transportation. We can actually make the parts uh, come together in ways that are not as different than the way typical parts come together on job sites. And so as a result, those challenges start to fall away a little bit. Um, you know, for us, our structure is made out of components, but there's still columns and beams and floor slabs. And people are, are, are not scared by the idea of, well, okay, I've seen buildings go together with columns and beams and floor slabs. That makes sense. It's just that we're making them in such a way where they're very specific to our design and our needs, and they go together in very predictable ways. Uh, so it is actually maybe a little less scary uh, in in that way. But we get the benefits of offsite fabrication. You get the benefits of um, you know the way you can control the environment of where something is made. You get to use it, uh, you know more technology in the process, and 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 again an efficiency out of the quality of construction and the amount of labor that actually is required both in the factory and also on the job site. So we can really push on finding those efficiencies in a way that is actually, you know, not so, so risky to folks. We have seen many failed attempts to disrupt the industry, <laughs> but, but what you're doing is probably not as radical. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, you know, this asset light approach allows us to also not only have some of those other advantages, but it also allows us to be more nimble in the way that we make decisions and commitments because we don't build a factory ourselves. And because we don't invest, we don't force ourselves to live with decisions that maybe weren't the right decisions. Or we, or if we find a new technology, we can, we can switch to that new technology without disrupting a big investment that we've personally made uh, ourselves. And as a result, we can be more nimble. And we can be always looking to the future and always, you know, uh, looking for the next opportunities to continue to improve that kind of virtuous cycle of, of continuous improvement. Um, and as a result, that allows us to hopefully uh, adapt through just different changing economic times and also through uh, different uh, advancements in building technology uh, and continue to, to make the product you know, better and better as we release updates, new buildings, et cetera. I'm sure that you use digital tools and processes and workflows. Um, can you explain how, how you use them and uh, what kind of advantages uh, pertaining to sustainability you might get from, from those tools and, and methods? Because of this product and component approach, we are actually able to then marry that up directly to a digital a uh, series of twins, uh, a series of processes where we can both uh, create a library of parts, uh, automations of how those parts come together uh, and create a, a kind of a rules-based uh, language for that process. And that makes us then very, very efficient in the drawing process. In fact, we're 
We've seen, you know, improvements of, you know, 50 to 60% in time it takes to draw a building from its concept through to its permit drawings. Um, and that is a, a very strong use of resources just in that upfront area it allows us to save a lot of time um, and allows us to be, you know, more predictable through the early stages of the project. It allows us to, to understand and quantify the parts of the building and, and, and predict its cost or its schedule. Uh, number one, which is very, very helpful to, to developers. It also allows us um, to create a, a, not, a lot less waste uh, as we are putting projects together. We can actually optimize uh, the raw material so that when we cut out the parts, they actually are nested in such a way that we really reduce the amount of waste. Uh, our job sites have a dumpster, but it's almost always empty because there's almost, it's only really, you know, uh, you know, uh, protection packaging is the only 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 waste on the job site uh, that that comes, which is very very large benefit. Um, <clears throat> it allows us to be more efficient with transportation. This idea of a, a decentralized supply chain allows us to then optimize that supply chain for each individual job site and reduce the amount of transportation it takes to get parts from where they're made to the job site, and that allows us to then be much better with the kind of the, the cost, the environmental cost of transportation. Um, of course, we model the building for energy efficiency, just like everybody else, and use the digital tools for that. But I think one of the things that actually um, really sets us apart is uh, the impact of the embodied carbon of the project. Uh, because we're able to manufacture our component parts out of uh, mass timber, uh, we're able to create an embodied carbon footprint on our projects, which actually is quite staggeringly different than many of the projects that are being built in the United States. And as a result, um, can offset much of the, the embodied carbon that we can't avoid that's in the washing machine, for example. Uh, but with the building structure and the other components, uh, we can be very, very conscious of the way that the, the parts are coming together and how they're being transported and, uh, and, and how they like contain and hold that carbon for a long period of time. So uh, we're very, very conscious to use digital processes to, to really push all of those factors yes so your company is fairly young still so where are you today uh, in terms of production and how do you how do you see the future sure well uh, our first project uh, is just completing in austin texas and it's a proof of concept for us um, it's uh you know smaller than typical project for us but it's one where we're gonna have people living there very soon and we're excited to get that open into the world uh, as I mentioned earlier, that kind of proof of concept is, is a first step for people to kind of believe and buy in. Um, we have a number of projects that are on the boards uh, in the various stages of development uh, in, in their design and, and permitting application process. Uh, we're excited to come forward with those. And so we're, we're, we're testing uh, other markets, uh, other places in the United States where they could uh, fit to make sure that we are able to be able to be flexible about what market we go to. Um, we're also looking at different building sites and building sizes, um, and our buildings as we go forward are going to be, um, you know, much, much larger and much more able to contribute to that urban density in, in cities. And so, uh, we're super excited for those to come to life. And then of course, as one continues to think about the future, really the key to us is to have, be de developing a platform for, and a process for making buildings. And so that the product itself can then vary over time. You know, right now we're very focused uh, on just one 
building type, one building typology, you know, market rate, multifamily housing. But as we take and, and, and make mature this process of working, uh, we'd then be able to then change the product and be able to apply that process to other things like you know, student housing or low-income housing or elderly housing or even venture out of housing into hospitality or others, because really the way of uh, the process, the platform of working is what will remain. And we'll be able to add different products, uh, different kinds of content within that kind of armature of the system. So that's kind of where we hope to go. Uh, but, you know, like you said, we're starting early, starting young and, and just kind of doing, trying to do something small well in the beginning. Of course, the construction uh, phase is just one small step in the life cycle of, of a building and environment. Uh, what happens after people move in and the users start using? Do you have any connection with the, the building afterwards? Yes, um, we do. Uh, we've, in this ecosystem of partners, we typically partner with a building management company. It's, it's very hard to be a building management company when you're very small. You need really some orders of scale to make that a profitable business. But we have partnerships with companies like that. We stay connected to that. We want to get feedback. We plan to do surveys and, and try to learn from the users about what really works well, what could be better, what could be different. You know, uh, do, what do they appreciate? about the building um do you know do we have the same values in mind um as well we want to make sure that the buildings uh can be maintained in a way that makes sense and that we're not wasteful in the way that we're you know using the building or using the energy of the building um and then we've been looking also into because the building goes together with components we've been looking very closely at is there a way at the end of the building's life to take the building apart in the same kinds of ways that we put it together, such that there's a reuse of the idea of the materials. Uh, is there another way of not just throwing it into the bin when it's finished, but a way of you know thinking about its life cycle the whole way through? So you know those are things to come. We've just begun with that, but you know we have to have a, I guess a series of buildings before we start taking them apart. So you know one thing at a time. But I think it's always front of mind to think about the whole life cycle of the building and you know and and that kind of you know cradle to grave mentality. You will be a keynote speaker at WDBE in September. Can you hint at what you'll cover in your keynote? Sure. Well, because this idea of productization is fairly new, uh, it has certain requirements. It, it, it has a different process. So one of the things that I would be uh, excited to share was how we got here, how we think about the design work, how we think about collecting requirements uh, from users and and uh, and uh, and also customers, um, how we use our digital processes to uh, take the designed components and, and automate them into uh, buildings in a very efficient way, and then also how we've actually demonstrated uh, in the construction process how we can you know take a third party decentralized supply chain and get the components to come to the site, and how we can assemble those components in in very fast, uh, efficient timeframes. So. For us, that's the kind of, you know, the story. Uh, and like I said, this first chapter is really this one product. And, you know, we, we want to demonstrate that it's going to succeed. And then we'll be able to then apply that as we go forward. But because that process is so unique, we'd, we'd love to share that uh, to anybody interested to, to, to hear. Final question. How can our listeners best connect with you and learn more about Juno? Well, sure. Uh, well, like everyone, we have a website. It's uh, juno.co, C-O. Um, and uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me directly, I'd be happy to, to hear. Uh, my email is bj at 
juno.co. Um, we also have uh, LinkedIn and Instagram, et cetera. So uh, please visit the website and, and learn what you can. We, we hope to have a new website actually uh, unveiling in, in a month or two. So there'll be some, uh, by the time of the conference, some new images to see and some new data to understand. This has been a pleasure, really exciting things you're doing, and I'm looking forward to seeing you at WDBE. Thank you so much. I, I, I really appreciate the opportunity and so glad to share. Thanks for listening. Join us at WDBE.org.